Hey, and welcome to episode 33 of 52 Founders. I'm Chrissy Costa, and this week we're headed back to LA to talk to Catherine Power, co-founder and CEO of Click Media Group. What started out as a simple blog called Who, What, Where back in 2006 has transformed into a media empire that now has publications like Fast Company calling CMG one of the world's most innovative companies. This comes as no surprise, as Catherine is one of the most courageous and intelligent founders I've had the pleasure of speaking with. She's got an interesting story to tell, and so I'm thrilled for you all to take a listen. All right. Well, Catherine, thanks so much for being on my show. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. Thanks. I'm happy to be on the show. So start by telling us about the idea for Click Media and and kind of what the company is. So Click Media Group is essentially a portfolio of brands uh, for women from Gen Z to millennial um, that are expressed as either media properties or uh, tangible goods. So we have everything from a fashion website, a beauty website, uh, a couple of uh, websites for Gen Z, and then uh, my domain, which is kind of a lifestyle home decor uh, destination. Um, and then we also have a product line. So we have uh, an apparel line uh, with a range of accessories and shoes under the Who, What, Wear brand, uh, which is currently sold exclusively through Target nationwide. Yeah, I saw that. That's so exciting that you debuted last year, correct? Yes, we launched it in uh, 2016. So let's walk through kind of the genesis of the company, though. What was the opportunity when you saw this, and and how did you guys get started? Well, my co-founder and I, Hillary Kerr, um, we were... Uh, working at Elle magazine about 12 years ago, and uh, I was the West Coast editor for Elle, and Hillary was on staff at Elle in New York, um, and I also worked on the Teen magazine, which was Elle Girl. And at the time, you know, we were both in our early 20s, and we were spending, you know, our free time on the computer. And we felt so frustrated that we couldn't get the same kind of content we were getting in our magazines online, and even more frustrated that, you know, as these fantastic celebrity or runway images were coming out online, we couldn't shop the product. It was very complicated to look at a piece of content and then find the product that you were searching for. You know, in a magazine, you would typically have to flip to the back page and, you know, there would be a credit section where you'd get maybe an 800 number to call for the brand. And, you know, essentially be taken to a corporate receptionist and you're trying to track down this amazing belt you saw on page 36. And it would it would just be so complicated. And at the same time, we saw uh, new e-commerce retailers popping up like Shopbop and Net-A-Porter. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to kind of create content that would connect with the commerce source and allow people to transact instantly. Um, at the same time, we saw a lot of the teen magazines folding And, you know, I remember the president of Hachette Filipaki Media, which owned Elle at the time, uh, a guy by the name of Jack Klieger, he called us up and he said, you know, we've decided to fold Elle Girl because this generation is not going to read print magazines anymore. And we sort of looked at each other and we thought, 
while it makes sense, you know, we can already see our behavior changing. So we felt really compelled to kind of reimagine the way that young women like ourselves would consume content and shop online. And so we came up with our first uh, brand, which was Who, What, Where, and essentially launched that as a daily updated newsletter. So similar to Mm -hmm. Daily Candy, which was really the only digital business that existed in the media industry for women at that time, you know, we sort of uh, took on that business model and said, hey, let's send out one story a day. And we were essentially taking, you know, fashion, um, you know, everything from runway fashion to celebrity fashion and kind of translating that for women everywhere. We, we also saw an opportunity to kind of create a very friendly voice in fashion. So at that point, it was really just the high-end magazines, you know, Bazaar, Elle, Vogue. And we felt like they were sort of talking down to women um, and not giving women enough credit for uh, you know, knowing what they wanted, it just they maybe needed the tools or the direction on how to wear it or where to buy it. So we kind of developed this voice that made fashion feel very accessible. And uh, and that was who will wear. So that was kind of what prompted um, the start of the business. And I think, you know, very early on, we knew that we wanted who, what, where to live as an apparel line, um, really just furthering the idea of you know, making fashion accessible to women everywhere. And um, we, you know, it was right when Target was sort of launching their designer collaborations. And um, we thought, you know, we would love to be able to take who, what, where to women via a clothing line at Target. So this was, I mean, 11 years ago at this point that we kind of had that thought. And we knew if we wanted to create products, we needed to build this, you know, incredible database of consumers which with which we could um you know market to or collect information from to kind of inform what they would want and that's exactly what we did so then you know 10 years later we came out with this this clothing line for who will wear and so that was sort of the first realization of the consumer products uh, part of our business yes and so many things you just said are so interesting to me especially since i remember when I was graduating college in 2010, it was like the rise of the blogger. And I feel like the blogger was getting so, the fashion blogger was becoming so much more about being accessible. And so I see the timing of where you, it was just so obvious, like at, looking back in retrospect, we can see that the timing is exactly what people wanted. And then with Target, you know, I know that I read somewhere that you're known for really engaging your audience. So you'll ask them like color swatches and things like that. And you were listed as Fortune's one of the world's most innovative companies this year. And so is that how you, you know, make sure that CMG keeps innovating by engaging your audience? Yeah, we, we were. We, it was actually um, Fast Company's most innovative uh, list for 2017. And, you know, I think one thing that we've done really well and I think continue to hang our hat on is staying incredibly close to the consumer. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the consumer behavior is changing today at a pace that we've never seen before. Um, you used to have the luxury of building a business over 20, 30 years without um, any worry of kind of the change in, in consumption habits or behavior. And um, now it's, it, 
you know, a new social network can pop up overnight and completely change behavior, um, you know, in a matter of days. So it's really, you know, because of technology that we're now moving at a much greater pace. So I think it's, you know, staying completely connected to them in deep conversation, um, one-to-one conversation with our uh, customers, you know, whether that's on social media or through um, questions that we send out in a newsletter. But, you know, we certainly use all of that data and conversation to inform all of the products that we have from our content sites to our marketing campaigns to the actual tangible goods that we that we create. So it could be any Anything from, you know, we'll be in a design meeting and we'll go on Snapchat or Instagram and send out, you know, the photos of three different prints that we might be considering for a dress and ask our, our community, you know, which one do you like better? And then before we leave that meeting, we have a few thousand responses that sort of tell us where to go. I love that. I think that's so interesting. And then before we dive into you, I'm just curious about being in LA. And so did you pick LA for a strategic purpose or was it simply that's where you were? And how do you view kind of like the fashion scene in LA is versus somewhere, you know, like New York? Yeah, um, it's definitely where we were. So I, I, I'm from LA. Um, my partner is, uh, she was born and raised in San Diego. So Southern California, she had been living in um, in New York for several years while at L, and then she was just kind of making the move back out here when we started the company. So I also think it was a great place to be in that we were taking a pretty heavy celebrity angle with who, what, where. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of the time that was the rise of the paparazzi, and you had all these weekly magazines, and, um, you know, there were tons of celebrity images coming out. Um, but nobody was really addressing the fashion. So, you know, we, we really did a lot of that on who, what, where, and being in LA, it put us in a great position to, you know, be able to continue to build the relationships that we had with the various stylists or celebrities or publicists, um, in order to stay close to that information. So I think that's, that was helpful, but honestly, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet is you can really do your job from anywhere, Um, as long as you have, you know, a computer and a, um, you can get on a plane. So, you know, we spent a lot of time in, in New York and certainly, um, you know, the, the majority of the fashion industry is, is there and in Europe, but, you know, I think it doesn't really matter at this point. I think a lot of, um, brands are kind of coming to LA or doing work here at least, and we have access to kind of the same, uh, the same group, um, I think, in spite of our location. Right. And I think the beauty of the internet is that you can see trends from all over the world. Like recently, I went to Japan and was so blown away by their street style and basically yeah. how much better dressed they are as a culture than <laughs> I've seen in America. Um, but it's nice now that you don't have to even travel to see that. You can go on websites and, and kind of see what the trends are. Exactly. I mean, really, you can be a blogger in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. And, you know, be sharing kind of your style or getting style inspiration from someone in Japan and and being able to purchase the same product. So it's really, you know, we've seen kind of a globalization of uh, fashion and fashion trends and the accessibility to the products over the last 10 years, thanks to the Internet. Yes, definitely. And so let's switch gears and now talk about you. You mentioned you're from L.A., um, so where 
where did you exactly grow up and what did your parents do for a living? So I was born in Orange County, um, mm-hmm. and uh, my family is very in the, the horse industry. So oh, okay. um, my mom and my stepfather, they uh, breed, train, and transport racehorses. Um, they're, my mom is very, you know, into, into uh, her horses and has made, um, you know, a business out of, out of them. And um, so we grew up, you know, I... I grew up around horses in sort of this um, kind of a ranch feel, but I just, I think I was always much more drawn to the city and kind of the, um, a faster pace um, from a very small age. So I was very different from my parents in that way. Um, But it was a, it was certainly a a nice way to grow up as well. So where do you think that comes from? Did you just, uh, you always were more fast paced or was there something about your childhood that made you drawn to the cities? I think um, you're sort of born one way or the other, and then I think you can can also learn um, or enhance certain parts of yourself. So I was born very driven and very entrepreneurial from, you know, a very uh, early age. I was, um, you know, trying to make money, uh, whether it was putting on some sort of a performance in my grandmother's garage and charging neighbors to come watch or... <laughs> Um, you know, when, when you get a, when you're little and you get like a toy kitchen, um, I had a toy kitchen, but I, instead of playing house with mine, I uh, pretended to open up a a restaurant and, you know, had customers and took orders and, um, was answering the phone. So I, I always was looking for a business opportunity from, from a young age. And, um, so I think I, you know, craved kind of more, um, just more action and commerce and um, industry than you get in a, in a, um, I mean, Orange County is relatively, uh, it's not so rural, but, um, you know, I think it, it, I, I wanted to be in a, in a bigger city with, with more opportunity. So I actually moved to LA when I was 16. So I, I feel like I sort of grew up here anyway, but, um, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in New York, but I've always been based in Los Angeles. And so when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? I actually wanted to be a film producer. So I loved the idea of kind of taking, um, you know, an idea and then bringing it to fruition through the packaging of different people and elements. Um, That's always been really interesting to me. And it's it's not unlike what I do now, although I, you know, I always kid and say, like, I couldn't I, I. at some point I can go produce a movie now if I want to, but I don't know if I could handle that pace because I'm so used to the internet um, and the fact that you can have an idea and see it come to life in a matter of weeks, whereas a film takes, you know, maybe five years. But I think it was just, you know, I love the idea of creating content by assembling a lot of different uh, pieces. Yes. And so did you, you moved to LA when you were 16 were you studying something in particular or you just wanted a change of pace and did you go to college um, in L.A. Or, or somewhere else or not at all? Yeah, so I was a very serious dancer uh, from the time I was very little. I was in a performing company um, that was actually in North Hollywood from about 12 years old on. And so, you know, really it was to be closer to my dance, you know career at that time. 
although I always knew I would, you know, dance until a certain age, probably 18, and then that would be it for me. So, um, but it certainly, you know, is what uh, enhanced my drive and determination and, um, you know, got me to Los Angeles permanently and um, helped me start my career. And then, you know, I was, I wanted to go to film school. My, my intention was to enroll in a community college here in, in Santa Monica, Santa Monica City College, and then transfer to USC film school. But I ended up getting an internship the summer before I was supposed to start with um, uh, SMC. And, you know, I, I really always just wanted to work. I never saw tremendous value in kind of going through traditional education, um, I guess, because I was just so driven. I, I wanted to kind of get into the real world. And that just certainly does not work for most people. But it worked for me. And I ended up um, getting a full time job by the time school was even supposed to start. So I never actually went to college. I just started working at 17 and, and never looked back. That's really impressive. I think that's most people are not mature enough to do that at 17. And so how did you find yourself then at L, you know, within the span of what, five years? Um, it was a little longer than that. So I had been working at um, a special events and, and nightlife company here in Los Angeles. Um, you may remember it. It's called uh, Brent Bolt House uh, Productions. Mm-hmm. It was on the hills. It had a, a 15 minutes of fame on that the Lauren Conrad show, The Hills, because Heidi <laughs> uh, worked there. But I was there um, before uh, the sh- it was it, the company was on the show. But um, so I was kind of in charge of um, celebrity wrangling and kind of creating the guest list for these. Um, really high profile, you know, from intimate to really big corporate events and was very entrenched in kind of the Hollywood community uh, from a young age. And, um, you know, at the same time, I had started a branding division uh, at the company, which, you know, I I now see kind of where my uh, love of uh, integrated marketing came from. But, you know, we had these weekly nightclubs, essentially, where, you know, the ultimate tastemakers and celebrities would come together three or four nights a week. And we used to have companies calling us and um, asking us, can you know, can we hand out our soda in your clubs? Or can we give out some clothing? And I thought, this is so interesting. You know, we have this group that everybody wants to reach, and they all come together for us, like, you know, two, three, four nights a week. How can I monetize this? So I went to my boss, Brent, and and pitched him this idea of starting a branding division at the company, whereby we would integrate products and ideas into the weekly nightclubs or parties and get paid, um, you know, an integration fee or retainer for them. So he gave me the green light to go out and find clients. And I did and, um, you know, ran that business for quite a while. And that's largely what we do now to support the media business is, you know, integrated advertising. So it was it was interesting. And then, you know, I remember I was there for four, four or five years. And I, I remember becoming obsessed with teen fashion magazines, thinking, God, I wish there was a way for me to make this a bigger part of my life. I'm so obsessed with these 
you know, these magazines and the content that's in them. And, and um, I thought I would love to find a way to make this my job. And I basically emailed everybody on the masthead of, you know, L-Girl, Teen Vogue, uh, Teen People, whatever they, the, the brands were at the time. Um, I just, I think because they were the most friendly of the voices. So unlike some of the the older titles, they were making fashion feel accessible even to women in their 20s. So I had no idea what it even meant to be in publishing or to be an editor, but I I somehow found the email formula at these magazines, which at the time was very hard to do because there was no LinkedIn or, you know, sort of any way to contact these people. But Mm-hmm. I figured it out and a couple of people, probably two out of, you know, 60 emailed me back and one of them was the West Coast editor for L Girl and she invited me to go to lunch and um I thought, "Oh god, this is so exciting. I can pick her brain and learn all about this industry." And um she said, "You know, I'm leaving L Girl to go run a new startup called Daily Candy." And um, I said, okay. And she said, so they're looking for a new West Coast editor. And I said, you know, that's so cool. But I, you know, I've never written before. I'm not a writer. I didn't go to journalism school. And she said, well, the primary job of the uh, West Coast editor is to book the celebrity covers. So I thought, well, you know, I am coming from a place where I had all of those relationships. And I think she'd probably done some research on me and knew what my connections were. And beyond that, the job was really to take trends, stores, uh, new restaurants or experiences that were happening on the West Coast, feed it to the editorial teams of, of each title. And, you know, I was so kind of involved in the community in this kind of tastemaker set that that was very easy for me to do. So I ended up, you know, meeting the West Coast editor of, of L or the editor-in-chief of L Girl and then flying to New York to meet with L. And, you know, about a month later, I had a full-time job there. So it was a little bit unusual, uh, the path. But I was able to apply the skills that I had created, you know, throughout my uh, young career and apply it to this, you know, new for me industry. Um, And we talk a little bit about that in in our book. Hillary and I wrote a book called The Career Code, which talks about, you know, whether you're starting out or starting over, you know, how to get into a business you don't have any experience in. So it was certainly a little bit of luck, but mostly, I think, determination and um, having the right skill set at the right time. And so that was it. And then, you know, from from there, the rest is history. Well, I mean, A, I have to check out your book, but B, you know, people say that luck favors the prepared. And I think what I keep hearing from you, I'm getting the sense that you have no fear, you know, going from, you know, eschewing college, you just work right away to moving to LA when you're 16 to then, you know, being an entrepreneur after L. So is that the right idea or did you have any fear and how do you overcome it if you do? Were you ever nervous, especially when you left L to be like, I'm going to start a company from scratch? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I always say, I think I was, I was born without that kind of um, fear gene. So kind of that, (laughs) that thing that tells you to care about what people think. I just don't have it. And I know, I don't know if that's coming from, you know, being a performer and a dancer at, at such a young age and, and being in a highly competitive environment, but I guess I have a lot of courage and I'm willing to take 
risks, you know, because I, I think I'm so determined that with that comes courage. So I feel very lucky that I have that mindset and it serves me well. But, you know, you do have to be prepared. I think that's a great point. It's, it's not just luck and timing or, you know, luck and determination. It's really, you know, you have to be kind of prepared to, to do whatever it takes to get to the next step, whether that's, you know, giving up a more secure position or career or, um, you know, doing your research on this new field. Yes, exactly. Very, very tenacious, though, as well. And so we're going to end with some fun questions. Um, what okay. are another, what's another L.A. startup that you're a really big fan of? Well, I'm obsessed with with the Honest Company, which is um, my friend mm-hmm. Jessica's business. And I remember when she wanted to start something like this, you know, uh, several years ago, and she was so determined and, you know, went to so many different people before someone would, you know, take a bet on this movie star, essentially, to build a billion-dollar company. So I really admire what she's done. She understands how to create a brand so well, and obviously it's a huge success now. There's a a company that I'm advising for that I really believe in. It's called The Last Line, and it's it's actually launching next month, but it's a fine jewelry, a direct-to-consumer fine jewelry company. So a way to find to buy, um, you know, precious stones and and gold and platinum um, at a much uh, less expensive price than, say, department stores or jewelry stores. So super excited for that. The the woman behind it is an incredible jewelry designer who has been designing for many lines that that she's kind of been behind the scenes, uh, but many lines that have been insanely successful. So I'm excited for that. I think BeautyCon is cool. You know, it's mm-hmm. that the convention kind of like events for the super beauty enthusiasts um, around the kind of YouTube vloggers. It's so fascinating that these, you know, subcultures exist and command such attention and passion from so many people when you may not even have heard of these these celebrities. So that's so fascinating to me. But yeah, I think there's some cool stuff, um, you know, coming out of LA. And I think with um, the SNAP uh, IPO, I think that's just going to fuel more investing and entrepreneurialism in the community. So that's great. Yes, them and Dollar Shave Club for sure. Um, I see yeah. that happening as well. And finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you most want to interview and why? Actually, I think I would interview um, Jeff Bezos. So Amazon is actually an investor in our company, but I've never met him. And I have such an appreciation for the fact that, I mean, they're just, they can, they have the ability to just kill it in so many different lines of business. And that's mm-hmm. really ambitious and it's really hard to do. And I, like, I just want to talk to him about like corporate structure and how, how did he, yes. you know, successfully make all of those different lines of business happen. I think he's such an inspiration for us. Yes. He's also just the king of the long game, you know, like the insights. Absolutely. I'm so curious of the insights. You can imagine what he was envisioning 20 years ago or, you know, right, right. when it was starting. And I feel like he strategically, it, it seems nonsensical, but even obviously, you know, my background's more B2B. And so I'm fascinated by the AWS segment of things and just right. look at where they are now. Um, in addition to this week acquiring Whole Foods. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's really yeah. fascinating. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for being on my show. It was awesome to have you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for another episode.